Hello, and welcome to Stacia Adjacent, the podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined as always by Stu Lennon. Good morning, Stu. Good afternoon, Stu. How are you today? Oh, oh, good morning, Justin, for you. Uh, I'm very well, thanks. Very well. What about you? How are things in Canada? Oh, we got snow again last night, Stu. We're back. Oh, it melted a little bit. It didn't melt enough that we had grass or greenery or anything like that. Coco's spot had a little bit of grass where she goes, but um, yeah, we're back to a couple more fresh inches of snow. So, you know, it's probably pretty good for me. I'm getting to that age where I need to get a workout once in a while and uh, an hour of shoveling snow, good for the cardio. Or it'll kill me, depending on which <laughs> medical journal you read. I'm not sure. I'm I'm at that age. I was reading an article the other day. It says, if you're over 44, you shouldn't shovel snow. Is that right? I was going to take this and pin it up on the wall just in case my wife saw it. But then I thought, you know, uh, I can't expect a, a woman suffering from chemo to go out and shovel snow either. So I'll take my chances. But uh, I like that. No, After 44, you can't shovel snow. Somebody's younger's got to do it. Well, there we go. I mean, perhaps, perhaps a little hint towards the daughter there. Yeah. I, I, I rescind that comment. I take it back entirely. My apologies to all daughters everywhere. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just thinking the, um, burnt from hell look that I would have just got had I even suggested this, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I've got a little bit of follow-up today. Excellent. I got some really brilliant follow-up actually from Lisa S one of our listeners, she uh, sent me a beautiful email pointing out that bear can use double square brackets, the standard way to link in markdown. And I can use that to link to another note in bear or even a subsection of a note in the notes where I have used headings and I tried it. It's like, Oh, I may never need to go to obsidian again. Yeah, that, there's not much that Lisa S doesn't know mm -hmm. uh, on the IT front. She's she's pulled me out of a couple of fires before. It's funny, I, and it probably was in there before, but uh, I have you know I've been using Bear as a fairly standard. I like it. It's it's a very simple Mac app. Uh, it's on a, it's on iOS as well, but I tend to write in in Mac. It is just a big sheet of paper. There's no funny bits to click on or anything like that. It's distraction free. And that's exactly what I want in a writing tool. It's an Italian guy. I think who developed it. Oh, is it? Okay. I believe so. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lovely little cost effective. I mean, there's a, I'm, I'm a subscriber, which means that everything is available everywhere, but it's a beautiful little app for, you know, 20 some odd dollars a year. Um, and I just like the way that I can focus when writing in it. The idea though, that I can now get into the different notes, uh, reminds me I should read the bloody manuals more often, but anyway, <laughs> thank you, Lisa. Really, really helpful. I did not know this and, uh, I'm, I'm already playing around with it though. I got to admit, I, I did follow what Stu and I were talking about last week and I made a simple computer inventory in obsidian. I have backlinks. I have specs of the toys that I have. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it yet. That's a whole different story. It just seems like a fancy list of all the expensive toys that I've purchased. But you know what? I'm a little worried about this because it may be called evidence in my next divorce, Stu. 
Well, indeed, there is always that risk. I mean, use your passwords wisely, I would suggest. Right, so where you are now is you have computer A. We'll, we'll, I know you have several, so we'll say computer A, <laughs> which the one that sits in my mind is that you have a music room, don't you? Because you, you make music. I do, yes. So I would write now the note, which you've, you've made the link for already, on computer A and say, what's it for? why you use that particular computer could it be made better for the purpose that you use it could you add something to it take something away you, you write a note around that computer this is all feeding into your thoughts on contextual computing yeah. well put square brackets around that because you need to write a note on that too and and you see how it sort of begins to grow mm. and this will also link into music because that's your music computer so why is it you're making music? Do you do you make enough music? Do you not make enough? Do you, should you do more? Could it be a project for next? These are the types. Of, that's where I find the linking takes me. Is it will take me off unexpected little routes. Oh God, <laughs> my! This could be a deep, dark place. Where uh, why do you not make music? Well, I'm too busy documenting things in Obsidian. <laughs> They're perfectly valid excuse. Nothing wrong with that. Mm. Actually, I'm not even sure that computer is set up for um, Obsidian. So, ha, huh, I'll have to take a look at that and see. Anyway, yes, Deep Dark, I'll give it a try. I will, I will homework to myself. I will document my use for each computer and see how I can link them. Sure, and you make a very uh, valid point that, you know, that computer probably doesn't need Obsidian because you don't need Obsidian to make music. So, but I need to, I need to know the muse of why do I make music, Stu? No, we need that in Obsidian. You don't need it on your music computer. Stop being facetious. Oh, okay. I, I'll come over there and slap you. It's not like I could get it on my um, my iPhone or my iPad or any any of those other places to see it. But exactly, you'd be able to find it. Um, but you know, my laptop, for example, I don't have um, any of my corporate emails. So. Um, because that's not what that machine is for. And that's what thinking about it and using Obsidian to write it down, as you say, uh, help me get to. I'll convert you yet. All right, I'll give it. A, I'm one step at a time, baby steps. It, it seems to be going well. <laughs> baby steps. I do baby steps very well. Sure. Well, my, my follow-up really is only, only that we've had a bit of weather ourselves. Just, I mean, we're not in your league. Welcome to Canada. Uh, but obviously Mediterranean islands aren't necessarily known for their cold weather. Um, we do most years have skiing here. Um, we've got um, a, a baby mountain called Trudos. Mm. Uh, but even by its standards, last night got a bit cold. It was minus nine up the top last night. That's a bit chilly. And, uh, yeah, and the locals... Um, are definitely feeling it. And I, I've put a note here that most houses in, in Cyprus don't have heating systems. So um, when it turns really cold, then, you know, it's it's a fireplace, which, you know, anybody who's got a fireplace, I mean, my experience of fireplaces is the fastest way to make a room cold is to light a fire. Um, because what happens is that it sucks in all the air that it can find to put it up the chimney. Um generally finds that air outside and brings it in through the doors and the windows. And it, but um, perhaps that's just me. Um, but there you go. That, that's it. That's it for my follow-up. 
Mm. No central heating, just a fireplace. At what point do you start lighting furniture on fire? Well, I mean, I have to say, I live in a house built by my my mum and dad who um, went, no, 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 we're having central heating. And so uh, I've got a central heating system fired by, uh, basically by kerosene. Oh, lovely. Mm. I'm just, I'm just imagining the sounds in the back of the recording from this. <laughs> yeah, we've got a big tank out in the garden uh, and a furnace not a million miles from where I stand, but uh, you've never heard it before and it's been on, trust me. So. <laughs> I, just a fridge that uh, is my bane of my life. The fridge, and you just missed the washing machine. Uh, the washing machine was just beeping furiously and Mrs. L was creeping around pretending that um, it wasn't happening because she'd timed it to finish before we started recording, but it all went a bit wrong. Mm. There will, there, there will be a discussion over supper. Oh. And then I'll go, don't worry, darling, you're, you're fine. You're fine. It's all fine. Yes, that is probably the best way to go. Uh, so what is your tool of the week, Stu? You got a, a well, a, not a new setup, but you're using things a little differently now. I want to hear about it. Yep, for sure. Um, as uh, regular listeners will know, I have two desks. I've got um, one that I'm recording at now, which is it's more of a shelf than a desk, where my my Mac mini is set up and I have a big monitor and I record here and I do corporate stuff here. And then I have my desk where, um, I either work analog or I use my little laptop or an iPad even. So, cause I've got far too many computers, but the desk is adjustable. And so of late, i.e., last week, when I finish here in the afternoons or the evenings, I wind the desk up so it's in the standing position. Mm-hmm. I move my little uh, uh, mat. I've got a, an, I think it's called an imprint mat. An anti-fatigue mat? Yes, it's a sort of, uh, I'm standing on it now. It's like a spongy thing. It's very good. Yeah. And I do my my morning writing, whether that be uh, analog or on the, on the laptop, standing. Uh, so all my mornings are standing, and then my afternoons are sort of split, stand and sit. Um, I can't stand all day. I, I get a bit tired. Must be old. I was going to say, standing all morning, my afternoons become sleeping on the couch. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I, I do have the occasional nap or reading, as as I like to call it. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of last night. I uh, was sitting on, I have a little couch down in my area down here. It's a loveseat little two-person couch, and I was sitting on there cuddling up with the dog and we were reading, which uh, means that I was fast asleep until my wife texted me at bedtime to say, where are you? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm already reading, honey. Yeah, I'm awake. I'm probably right up. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Afternoons, often you will find me with a dog on on either side of me on a couch, just just reading, reading or gently resting my eyes, perhaps. The dog has an, has now got two beds in my small little office here she has to have one with the view of the mountain and another one with the view of me and she gets up and moves around all day long from one to the other one to the other i've got more toys i look like i'm in a a kid's daycare here Stu. (laughs) it is absolutely ridiculous how we are with these dogs well, you know, they're good company. Mm. I, I wouldn't be without mine, I'll be honest. Yeah. What about you? What's your tool of the week? My tool of the week, well, I, I have this 
I may have mentioned it before, a quest for the perfect productivity fuel, coffee. It continues. I, I got a new tool this week. I got a brand new coffee grinder and some new delicious artisan roasted coffee. So the coffee grinder, I upgraded from a, well, I just had a general burr grinder that was fairly inexpensive to a more expensive one. It is the Brazza Encore. And oh my gosh, does that make such a difference in terms of how your coffee tastes. Uh, it gives you a proper grind. Uh, this is a multi-level burr. So if you actually pull out the burr, I'm not sure if you know what a burr is, do I know you do mm -hmm. these yeah, yeah. fancy, fancy little coffees that, you know, you can crush under a teaspoon and put in a glass and away you go. Um, this one has a multi-level burr grinder in it and just does an amazing job. And that leaves nothing but delicious, delicious coffee. And just in grinding itself has made such a difference in the same coffee beans, which is surprising. Uh, I also got some brand new coffee beans, uh, Pluma from Mexico. No, uh, it's sourced by Red Fox coffee merchants from the small farms near San Agustin. Now I, I know you like your little coffees, which are uh, perhaps a little on the more bitter side. This is roasted to perfection. It's not got any of that Starbucks burnt flavor to it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a nice flavorful, mellow coffee. Uh, first time trying it and oh my gosh, have I got a new favorite coffee? No, oh, oh. um, Mexico. I haven't really come across a lot of uh, Mexican coffees. And if you can find one from, you know, a, a local brewer, a local roaster, uh, I would definitely suggest trying that. It is really, really good. Excellent. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm I'm half pumped already because guess what I've been doing all morning? Grinding and, and pouring and doing all the, the whole coffee ritual stuff. Working on the perfect productivity fuel. See, I could tie anything into productivity. Okie dokie then. This, this is how, coming back to our obsidian topic, this is how Justin has so many different pieces of gear on his desk. I can justify anything by even the smallest little bit of, I need this because it affects productivity. Well, in which case, what pen and ink are you using this week to enhance your productivity? Oh, this is actually a productive one too. I got a new to me pilot vanishing point in oh, okay. matte black with a fine nib. And I got this for a good deal. It's not a new pen, but it's a new to me pen. And it just writes flawlessly. I have a vanishing point here with a extra fine nib that, well, if you're looking for a place for your next booster, this is the nib for you. I also have a medium that would put some of your broads to shame. It's, mm -hmm. it is uh, very, very thick and juicy, which uh, we all know. I love those. Um, and this one in the flat black, particularly, I think it, uh, you know, goes with my keyboard and my desk and, you know, I, I'm going with a theme here. Mm. Anyway, it's absolutely gorgeous. And I realized, you know, talk about first world problems. I have a problem. I have a sample 
of ink that I'm using in this pen. It is Diamine's Arabian Nights. I'm not sure if you know that one. I don't know the ink, no. Oh, it's beautiful. It's, well, I would call it a blue-black, but it's black with a slight shade of blue in it. But it is a shimmering ink. So it is absolutely gorgeous. It looks like almost a, a dark, dark blue-black ink, but it has such a little sparkle in it. And I wrote with it, and I just fell in love with it right away. It's the first time I've used it. Somebody had uh, given me a sample a number of years ago. Absolutely lovely. Cool. What? But I can't order it. Oh, why not? Well, the problem is ink freezes. Ah. And it's cold around here. So I have seen problems with inks in mailboxes freezing. Uh, because what happens is it, it will freeze, it will expand. And if you have a contained bottle and something expands, guess what happens? Bang. Exactly. So I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm realizing that, uh, you know, the problems I have, the first world problems I have, I can't mail order ink until spring, until it warms up. And I can guarantee, because if we have any sudden back to, you know, minus 20, minus 15 degree weather, there is no way that this is going to survive. And I bet you've got no other ink you can use. Well, this is the problem, right? Yeah. You know, I, I've already tried those other hundred and some odd bottles. <laughs> Uh, first worldy problems, I know, but uh, I, I was on cult pens the, the other night and I had this basket and then I saw a stat and thought about it and went, well, that's lovely, but I can't order it because, you know, I, I don't want to run that risk. Uh, I have a, in Canada, we have shared mailboxes, community mailboxes are called. Have you seen uh -huh. these things? Nope. They are about a block away from me. Well, the next street over. There is this little bank of, I'm just trying to think of a nice way to put it. Uh, it looks like a garbage can planted into the ground that has a whole bunch of doors on it. And you have a little key and you open your door and your door is about two inches wide by, you know, uh, probably eight inches wide. And that is where your mail goes. Okay. Yeah, we've, we've actually got those in the village, but they're, they're all taken. N none for people like me. I mean, we've, we've only had a house here for 30 years. Yeah, well, you got to wait for somebody to knock their house down or. <laughs> exactly. Abandon it like the one across the street from you, you know? The problem is I never know what time the mail drops off. Sometimes in the morning, sometimes it's in the afternoon, sometimes it's in the early evening. And it's sitting there, it will be basically in the freezing cold until I open it up and bring it in. And I know just from, you know, going and getting my mail, it gets awfully cold over there. So no, no ink for Justin. <laughs> well, count yourself lucky. I, I, I don't know what day my post comes. I mean, it's, it's once a fortnight ish. Oh, something like that. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I can't say anything. We have a very good postal service. It's just the, the, the thing of having to go to a box and check it is weird and, uh, having it in such a cold location. Uh, I, again, I, I am so spoiled. I really am. I know it. 
Now, I need to ask you a question before we, before we move on. The vanishing point. Yes, sir. I mean, I, I understand the practicality of the instrument, but, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's no easy way to say this. It's an ugly thing, isn't it? You know, though, there is something about the click mechanism on it that is brilliant for taking short work notes. Mm. Yeah, I've got to say, it makes me twitch. That, that oh no, 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 don't like it. Um, it is, it is a pen that has opinions. Yes, it's a, it's an upside down pen, and the clip forces you to hold it a particular way. If you can get around that, and if you want something that, well, may not be the prettiest pen ever, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, but it is extremely practical. It has a little door on it. I think is the best way to say that, that when you push, it opens the door and pushes out this tiny, tiny little nib. And that is, you're basically writing with a ballpoint pen, but with a fountain pen and been a pilot, the nibs on it are fantastic. They're gold nibs. They're, they're lovely little gold nib pens. And yeah, if you, if you can get past the grip, which been a lefty, maybe a bit more challenging to use to, they are extremely practical to have lying on the, on the bench. Unfortunately, they're, you know, pilot, they're, they're extra fine is it cuts through any paper you're using in North America, even tuned and the medium, you've got to find sort of that, um, that nib that speaks to you. Mm -hmm. This fine really does. And I'm pretty happy with it. Mm. Well, okay. Then talking of ugly, but practical pens, I am using a Twisby go. Have you come across one of these little puppies before? Yeah, and boy, filling that is fun, isn't it? <laughs> it's a fantastic mechanism. For those who haven't seen it, well, A, Google is your friend, but B, it's a little push button. So you put the ink, uh, sorry, the nib into the ink bottle, and then you've got a spring-loaded push button that you push down, let go, whoosh, your pen is full. It's awesome. It's brilliant. Every pen should be like that. But it does mean that you've got a big, Dirty great spring in your barrel. And being a Twisby, it's a, it's a transparent barrel. It's a demonstrator-style pen. So I've got a, a sort of blue-tinged one. Um, and I filled it with Schubert by Diamine from the music set, which I originally wrote down as a sort of forest green. Uh, and then I started writing with it, and it just started getting lighter and lighter. And it's, it's a sort of turquoise bit of action going on. There's some shading and... Most unusual for me. I don't really go in for shady inks or anything, but this is lovely. I'm really enjoying it. And the nib. Twisby makes such smooth nibs. I do believe the nib on this one is the same as on the Eco. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I, I'm actually thinking about this. I bought one when the Twisby Go first came out, and I think I pl- played with it. I'm not sure I ever got as daring as to put it in a bottle of ink and push the springy button thingy it's um it it it's deceptively good is what i would say about this pen mm. and it's relatively cheap too oh yeah it's it's not a lot of money it doesn't doesn't have a clip it's got a little um 
Uh, it's got a little, what would you call that? A hole where you could th- put some thread, uh, you know, if you wanted to wear it around your neck. Yeah, th- so it serves as a bit of a roll stop too, right? Yeah, and you could sort of just wear it around your neck on a lanyard. And it's a, a pull to open. There's no screwing, uh, what's it? Demonstrator, so you can seal the action. You can see the nib feed and all of that stuff. Uh, it's a lovely little pen. Love, great, um, great starter pen for someone mm. because it takes away a lot of that stress of, oh, how do I fill this thing? How is it for cleaning, Stu, with that whole weird mechanism? It's fine. It's fine. Um, you just clean it as you would clean any converter pen, really. Give it a, you know, give it a decent flush. And you just stand there o- over the sink, giving your thumb a workout in, out, in, out, in, out until the color's gone. Mm. That's great. I kind of have all kinds of uh, squeezing that too hard and turquoise sink everywhere. Well, there, there is that sort of fear in the back of the mind, but I have to say, I mean, in fairness, it doesn't matter what mechanism. Um, if I go near a bottle of ink, I get ink on my hands. I I don't know how I do it, but uh, I find it on fingers that have been nowhere near the bottle. I, it's, it's just me, really. I, I'm, I'm not really designed for fountain pens, which is ironic in itself. Uh, unfortunately, it's not just you, Stu. I, I think we're in good company here. Uh, I, I look like a bit of a silver sheened dark blue Smurf the other day from filling up, uh, my sample, which of course, you know, I had a sample, uh, and trying to get that into an ink, well, that evolved a syringe and everything. And you can imagine when you start taking things apart and syringing ink, that gets everywhere. For sure. For sure. Good thing my wife isn't down here looking at my marble countertop mm, yes indeed i'm 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 very quick to wipe my white desk down when i've been inking up pens mm-hmm. if you get there fast enough you're okay that's about it uh, i did dump an entire bottle on my desk uh at the last house oops i had i was trying to fill up a robert Oster. Mm-hmm. i'm not sure if you've ever used his bottles they're tall and thin no i haven't used them i've seen them yeah, I wasn't paying enough attention and uh, moved the full ink um, converter away and caught the edge of it with the edge of the nib and bumped it all over my lap, the carpet. Me, I was, well, um, uh, my crotch was blue. Let's put it that way, Stu. Uh, it had gone through A everything. blue crotch. Uh, but as you say, it, it all came out surprisingly. I got on it right away with some water and, uh, yes, I got it all out. Touch wood. Uh, this is why I don't use any permanent inks. Yeah, me too. Me too. Right. So what is our topic for this week? All right. Our topic is good enough. How to avoid the perfection trap because, well, we all know that perfect is the enemy of done and been productive is a balance between perfection and getting things done. I want to talk about how do we balance? How do we keep that balance? Because I'm guessing you probably have a little bit of that tendency like I do. And like a lot of people in our circle of things that we don't want to release things until they're perfect. Whether that's sending out an email, whether that's sending a report to a boss or a shareholder, or it's 
submitting some sort of form, pressing publish on a an upload to your website, or sending out software that could potentially have a small bug in it. Where do you draw the line, and how do you keep that that balance? A uh, quick question: Do you have a process for achieving balance? Um, I don't know if it's you would call it a process. I think what I've done is I have created environments that remove some of the temptation to indulge my perfectionist streak. So, um, around blog posts, I mean, I, I would never claim that they were perfect. But I have sort of publicly committed to what my release schedule is. Mm -hmm. So I have a deadline. And for me, nothing focuses the mind like a deadline. Mm. Um, I, I give it a quick proofread and I've got to get it out. Mm -hmm. So if I get blog posts, you know, written in advance, then they tend to be better proofread because I've got time to read them a few more times. Um, but if I'm working as I currently am, sort of, you know, one week to the next, then they get they get a proofread. And uh, for example, today I recorded uh, Writer Interrupted, which is essentially a reading of my blog posts. Uh, and yes, picked up a, a few typos there, which I've just you know, surreptitiously corrected on the website. And that, that sort of achieves it for me. I'm actually using the exact same tactic to, to publish the novel. So I started writing this book in 2016, um, and I've been playing and I've written, I wrote a nano draft. I actually wrote two novels. So 160,000 words or so. Until I went, actually, these are kind of one novel, just very verbosely written. And then started an editing process and a redrafting process. And, oh, no, actually, I need to change that round. And, oh, it shouldn't be here. It should be there. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And that's exactly what we're talking about. That was me seeking perfection or very creatively procrastinating. Mm. That's for me is the danger is that perfection and procrastination are very, very close to each other or the search for perfection and procrastination are very close to each other. Yeah, that's a really good point. Do you feel that perfection or slash procrastination change depending on what you're doing? Creative obviously is, is one thing where there is no, there is no right there's a point that at some point you will publish it, but you know, even if that's in a book, you can have a second edition, a third edition, so forth as you continually enhance that. I'm, I'm thinking back to my first accounting job many, many moons ago when I was a young starry eyed clerk. And this was in the days too, before computers were well, particularly well used manual calculator tapes and stacks and stacks of checks trying to reconcile a bank for a multi-million dollar company that I was working for at the time. It was completely inefficient and this had to be perfect. And I was drilled in that 
It had to be perfect. If I was out a penny one way, well, technically it could be a million dollars and a penny one way and a million dollars the other way. And it was only the penny that was the difference. <laughs> and, and so this was brought in as a very, very young person. I think I was probably in my early, early twenties, my first sort of uh, career job in an office. And I was drilled into, it has to be perfect. And that, that's been a really tough one for me to get past, at least in my early years. I think it takes a certain amount of experience to know the difference between when you should worry about something and when you shouldn't. Um, you know, coming back, I, I know your background in uh, money, financial services, uh, mm -hmm. money exchange. I'm assuming you probably were brought up with this, it has to be perfect because there is a financial consequence for any errors that you are making. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> younger listeners are now, now going to be falling off their chairs, but, um, when, when we worked in, in Bureau de Change, um, when I started back when, when God was a boy, we, we essentially had at our point of sale machine was, was made by an Irish company. And it was called Ford, but with an E at the end. So four day, if you like. Mm. And it was owned by, by a chap called Dennis Ford, an absolutely lovely fellow. Uh, he's passed away now. God bless him. And it was, you would recognize it. You'd look at that and go, that's, that's almost a printing calculator. Like almost, not quite. There's, there's something not quite right about it. And essentially it had, you remember like an old Blackberry keyboard? Mm-hmm something very similar to that or with each button was assigned to a currency and it was a sort of it was it was a halfway house between a calculator and a computer and it was designed specifically for foreign exchange Ooh. and at the end of your shift you would uh you would do a print totals and you get a good old-fashioned till roll going <laughs> and this big thing about eight foot long would come out with a sort of record of everything that had happened, currency balances across 30 currency, all of that stuff. And we would take all of that and transcribe it into books. So you had a till book, which was a kind of A5 thing that had a little balance in it. And then you had a foreign currency ledger, which was one of those big old red books mm -hmm. that, you know, A3 size that you would open up and look like something Dickensian. And you'd have all the way across, you'd have US dollars, Canadian dollars, German marks, French, francs, Italian, and you'd be writing in all these figures very carefully. Blah, blah, blah. And then the masterpiece was a thing called the Daily Report. And every cashier had to write their figures onto this huge A3 sort of pad, specifically printed. And they had to write in fine black pen. And there were little space for everything. And then the branch manager, which, which I was one of those, the following morning, I had to get all of those together, add them all up and make it balance. And as you say, it had to balance. And in there would be, I mean, at one point we had 25 branches and we would be sending money to each other. Oh, look, he needs Deutschmarks. I'll send him 5,000 Deutschmarks. He's going to send me the French francs in return. That guy over there, he needs Italian lira. And these are all separate entries. Because after you've done the daily report, then you have to balance the network. Oh. 
And this was this was the worst clerical sort of administrative job in the world. And people who could do it, we were given some sort of godlike status. And once you got really good at it, you could make money appear and disappear. So I could make money, a hundred thousand French francs, I don't know, fifteen thousand dollars. I could make that disappear from Monday and reappear on Tuesday in the reports. And people would look at me, how'd you do that? Uh, it's a gift. It's a gift. But as you say, it was all about perfection. Every number had to be perfect or the whole thing fell over. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like a, I, I'm just getting nightmares back to some of those old days. I found at one company I worked for some ledgers from when the company started in the you know, probably 1920s, 1930s. These big ledger books exactly like that. One thing I'll tell you, Accountants had a hell of a lot better handwriting back in those days than we do today. For sure. For sure. I mean, that was one of the things. If you've got a new cashier and they're a bit scruffy with their writing, you'd literally take them out the back and slap them. (laughs) You do not do that on my daily report. You get it right. You do not make mistakes. Is this clear? (laughs) Um, And in many ways, I suppose the fact that you had to balance everything so carefully made everyone very conscientious mm-hmm. whereas once we computerized um you you know you would pump in all the numbers and if it kicked out the wrong one you'd have a quick read through and then you would just write it off done you couldn't do that on the paper systems because everything on the paper system you had to write in longhand what's happened why etc cetera, etc cetera. did this train you to be a perfectionist or were you able to determined that this role required this, but this part of my life didn't? Or did that affect you in such a way that everything had to be perfect? Probably a bit of both. So um, I learned the ability to turn it on and turn it off. And people who know me um, would know me as as quite gregarious, um, you know, first at the bar, last at the bar making lots of noise, not particularly detail-focused at all. I mean, my my proofreading is awful, as anybody who's ever read my website will tell you, mm. um, because I don't really give that any attention to detail. But if you walked into a bureau de charge to my till, you opened my my till drawer, which would have, you know, I don't know, let's say $75,000 in it in 20 currencies. My My money would be every bill is turned to the same orientation. Everything is in order. So you've got, for US dollars, you would have hundreds, fifties, twenties, tens, fives, ones, and we used to deal with quite a lot of twos as well. And they would all be perfect. Hmm. People would watch, uh, if, if I had you know 500 bills, I would count them into twenties, and then I would take the 20th, and I would turn it 90 degrees to the others, and I would create a little bundle, and I would put a paper clip over it, that's 20 notes, and therefore I know the value of those, and I would have 10 of those in a lie. My, my tills were absolutely spotless. People would look at it and go, did you do that? And I go, yep. And I would constantly sit there keeping my till tidy. So I was either trading with the customer or making my till perfect. And it was I could just turn it on and off like that. For money, very precise. Anything else, didn't care. So how are you uh, in keeping the house organized for Mrs. L? Uh, well, some things I'm allowed to do. Other things I'm banned from. Got it. So um, uh, loading the dishwasher? No, not allowed. 
Stop it. Um, unloading the dishwasher, that's your job. Um, M- M- Mrs. Lennon will, will shout down from the kitchen to tell me that I haven't emptied the dishwasher. Ah, okay. See, I figured, you know, after all of these, you'd have, you know, uh, 19 plates and the 20th one would be turned in a certain way. So, you know, exactly. <laughs> well, the, I mean, in fairness, um, Mrs. L, uh, comes from the same business as me. She used to work in foreign exchange as well. Her tills are pretty, pretty tidy. Um, and that's the ultimate pickup line, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> got a tidy till over there, Mrs. L. <laughs> she really does love uh, cleanliness. So everything that goes into my dishwasher is spotless. Beforehand. Before it gets there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I have several times said, look, sh- should we just retire the dishwasher, given that you wash everything perfectly before it goes in? Don't be stupid. And he's going, okay, right, fine. Um, so I'm not house proud at all. Okay. Um, curiously. My my office, again, it's pretty organized. You know, I, I know where everything is. Um, I don't, I'm not one to have loads of paper lying around the place. Uh, but anywhere else in the house, I, I, I just don't notice it. I've got that, um, some would say, male ability to, to completely ignore chaos around the house. It just doesn't interest me in the slightest, mm-hmm. um, which usually gets me in trouble. What about you? Are you, are you? are you very pernickety around the place? Yeah, in weird ways. Um, I don't necessarily worry about things being organized and minimalistic in the way that you do. Because uh, I know I know what your desk looks like, and um, you would absolutely die in horror looking at all the junk that's on mine. Um, see my previous note about obsidian and expensive toys. <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm okay with things being, you know, let's say paper in a pile or stuff in on a shelf. What bothers me is when people move things or disorganize things because. I know where it is. Don't move it. It's in that pile. If that pile's a little messy, it's okay because I know what it is. So I'm I'm weird about that. Like some things will bother me, some things won't. You know, uh, things like a door being left slightly ajar. This is one that drives me nuts every single morning because the door to the upstairs and the downstairs, my daughter sneaks upstairs in the middle of the night to steal food. And she never closes the door behind her. And it's one of those things that just drives me nuts. (laughs) So I'm, I'm very weird about things like that, but, uh, you know, Hey, you live with other people. You kind of have to just put up with all of their rules. However, coming back to our topic though, there is a question of, you know, what is good enough just releasing things. It's, it's a tough one, right? To figure out, you know, we strive for perfection and it does bang its head against deadlines. As you say, deadlines are a big one for doing things, but also just in terms of time we use. I, I think one of the strongest ways to control good enough versus perfection is to give yourself, particularly in, in sort of jobs like we we have where we're largely in control of our own time to time block plan and put things on a schedule really does force that issue a little bit of what is good enough versus that quest that never-ending quest for perfection yeah absolutely and i think um 
experience plays into this a lot. So um, you begin to learn that sometimes the best perfectly crafted pitch email will completely miss. And sometimes one that you think is it's okay will get you big returns mm-hmm. uh, because you're not in control of how people are receiving your email. If you see what I mean, what sort of mood they're in, what sort of position they're in, whether they're actually looking for the thing you're offering, you know, th- there's an element of it's outside of my control. So the most important thing in this instance is to, is to get the thing out. And um, I think you learn that through experience. Certainly I do. Um, when I have clients who are pushing back on certain things or asking for certain things, I have, I have an instinct for, for how much I need to put into it. And also I think you can, you can look there also at cost and, you know, the whole cost benefit side of the, the thing. Again, that comes with experience. You kind of know. I think for me, the real struggle is um, when we look at creative endeavors, like uh, like my writing or, you know, I'm not musical, but if I was doing anything musical, the my, my natural instinct, I don't know if it's a natural instinct, but my natural protection uh, defense mechanism is just to keep playing with my book and keep playing with my writing and keep saying, okay, yeah, well, I can just do that and then do this. And, and it becomes apparent even to myself that I'm just procrastinating. And, and the way that I get through that or the way I've got through it is to say, look, if I'm going to be a writer, then presumably I'm, I'm planning on writing more than one thing. And like anything else, you get better at stuff. And so the aim for me is to get novel number one out so that I can write novel number two. Mm. And then after no- novel number two, then novel number three, number I'll get better at these things. Like I do, I, I was absolutely terrible at golf the first time I played it. Now I'm still pretty terrible, but I'm not bad. I'm okay. Mm. We'll wait till we play together and then we'll figure out the definition of bad. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's like anything else, repetition. The, the more I do it, the better I'm getting at it. And so for me, uh, with my writing, th- th- I have to sit down and tell you know, the imposter syndrome, listen, this isn't going to be the greatest British novel written. The greatest British novel ever written is novel number 20. And I'm not going to get to it unless I write the first 19. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm fairly certain the novel number 20 won't be either, but it will be a lot better than novel number one. So that's how I try and push myself. Corporate-wise, I think it's easier because, you know, bosses have a tendency to say, I need this on my desk, bye. Um, and you, you therefore have to get it there. And yeah, sometimes you just run out of, uh, of time. I mean, interestingly, just this week, I threw away some old paperwork and I had, I kid you not, I had a tender document that I was part of the team that developed this tender document in 1995. And I have held on to it. I, this has probably got 20,000 miles in air miles as I've moved it around from country to country. And it was just because I was, I was proud of it. I just thought it was great. And you never know when you're going to need it. It was essentially to to win the tender to provide foreign exchange services in Budapest airport. Um, and we lost, incidentally, we didn't get it. 
There you go. Ah, weird how these things happen. But you're proud of the work that got you there. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how you hold on to old stuff like that. I, I guess one of the other things that I would say as far as perfection, you know, depending on what, pro, what profession you're in, that has different connotations as well. You know, uh, a airline pilot just saying, good enough, we don't need to do the rest of those, perhaps may not be, you know, the right, the right level. Sure. But I think what you end up doing is you develop over time and this is why professionals are professionals, why a lot of, you know, doctors, for example, have to have a license and accountants and lawyers and, you know, people that you, you have a trust in there that they understand from a professional level, what is actually a true part for perfection and what can be less than perfect. You know, yep. if you have a, a patient on the surgery table and you are, you know, I'm just thinking about it. My wife is, will be heading for surgery for her tumor, uh, in a couple of months. And, you know, th I, I appreciate the fact that the surgeon is going to have to do the best job that they can to remove as much of the tumor, but they may not get it all. And that's why additional testing comes in. That's why they test the tissue around the tumor. And they may have to go in a second time to take a little bit more. That, sure. that balance. And I think that's where the professionalism comes in. You know, you just have to rely on your training. You have to rely on your professional instinct. And that is, is part of that as well. It's not just getting it done because of time constraints, but getting it done right and coming up with that balance. So it's, it's an interesting balance, but I think it is really important. As you said, perfection often leads to procrastination. And I think that's a really, really good point. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember the surgeon that operated on my wife, uh, she had a back operation, mm -hmm. uh, 18 months ago now, I guess. And, uh, he was explaining to me, he's a lovely fella. He's, um, larger than life Greek guy. Um, from from Athens, and he was he was showing me the MRIs and the and the uh, X rays, and I'm looking at them thinking I've got no idea what any of this means. But he's saying, you know, this dark bit, that dark bit, this light bit. I'm going, okay, I'm getting getting the picture. And he's like, when I was in there, I cleaned this bit up and I cleaned that, but I didn't clean that little bit up there. I said, well, why not? He said, well, because you get that bit wrong, and your wife's paralyzed. Okay. All right. I can, I can see where you went for done, not perfect. So mm -hmm. the, you know, these are the parts that, that were easily accessible that would give the quality of life that will, um, remove the majority of the problem, but not all of the problem. And that's where we settled. And I'm like, okay, fantastic. Brilliant. And as you say, that's experience, that's training, that's judgment. And clearly those things are a lot more serious than the things that you and I muck about with, but, uh, illustrative nevertheless. It certainly makes uh, publishing on the internet seem pretty uh, mundane, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does. I mean, look, my takeaway, my takeaway from this is that anything creative that's worthwhile tends to be iterative. So uh, I used to design and deliver training courses. And my first one was all right. It was okay. It was probably better delivered than it was written because my skill 
uh, back then was probably more delivery focused. Um, essentially, I'm a big, loud guy and a big, loud guy jumping around in front of a group of people tends to be entertaining. So my 10th course was better. So I, I, I'd begun to learn which things worked really well and which things didn't work so well. And I'd amended and I'd adjusted. By the time I was rolling out, you know, my 500th course, I was pretty good. You know, I, I, I can say with, with some certainty because I used to do feedback forms and I was getting huge feedback. Customers were, were corporates were bringing me back. It's iterative. So rather than trying to write the perfect training course or deliver the perfect training course, you just had to keep getting better and better and better. And that's true with many, many things, whether it be a presentation, whether it be um, a report whether it be a blog post, whether it be a piece of music, whether it be a poem, whether it be a book, set deadlines, hit them. You, you're not going to get it right first time. Excellent. Wow. Good feedback. I think my takeaway is on this one is that it's okay not to be perfect. Getting things accomplished means that sometimes you have to accept that things may not be entirely perfect. This is where, as we're talking about, build your systems, trust them, trust your training, trust your judgment, but don't hold yourself to that perfectionist standards because it will lead to procrastination. Cool. Interesting, interesting discussion, Stu. Thanks very much for this one. Yeah, All right. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, on the interwebs, you can find me at stuartlennon.com or nerosnotes.co.uk if you fancy a bit of stationery. Uh, on the Twitter machine, you can find me at Stu Lennon. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? You can find me at justintwyford.com, T-W-Y-F-O-R-D, at stationeryadjacent.com. You've got links to everything that I do. And you can find me on Twitter, lurking around at JJ Twyford. And of course, you feel free to email us, stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. We do read every email and really appreciate it, especially from people like Lisa, who point me in the obvious thing that I didn't know. So thanks again for that. Please like and review us in your podcast catcher of choice. We really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues that you think will get something from our show. Our next topic is going to be a review of our setup as we approach the new year. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us. Approach the new year. We're in the new year, man. Fix it and post. <laughs> Splendid. I shall I shall press stop.